for April 26th, 2021. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 669. John Walker, Black Label. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matt, and that's Pete. Pete, how are you doing? You know, Matt, I've had a tough road. I've had to come through a lot of challenges, but I'm on the other side here, and I'm teaming up with you for this podcast tonight. They don't ask me twice, because we got a job to do, and we're going to do it. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear you. I was filling out this loan application. It's, can you believe all the things that they ask on, uh, on one of these? But, uh, but Pete, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to be able to do it ourselves. I, I don't think this. No, I don't think that think this a, podcast. A buddy duo just like us isn't sufficient. We're not adequate to accomplish the task before us without help. Pete, though, your name and mine are the only two that appear in storied two-hander <laughs> because you are Mr. Story and I am Mr. Two-hander. You were Mr. Le- two-hander, but your second hand is now vibranium. <laughs> but the, um, you know, we gotta, uh, we gotta, we gotta go get a, uh, third person to do this podcast with us. Fortunately, I know just the man and he has been imprisoned in a podcast about the Oscars. This whole time, the whole time, we're going to. He's been for for years. The whole history of overthinking it. He's been podcasting about the Oscars. In fact, Pete, I don't know if you remember this, but our very first overthinking it podcast uh, called "Salute Your Shorts" was about the short film nominees in the two thousand nine, two thousand eight. I forget the uh, the two thousand eight Oscars, and uh, that's yeah. So that's uh, that's where he's been since two thousand eight. He's still talking about uh, the same five short films. <laughs> Let's bust him out. It's Ben Adams. Ben, how are you doing? I knew you would come eventually. <laughs> You'll finish this podcast on my private jet. <laughs> I'm so oh. glad we busted you out of prison, by which I mean you busted yourself out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was just waiting for you to show up so that I could do it dramatically. Just give me if one that was, to stay here. If that was like, the, how did he, I mean, spoiler, all spoilers, all books, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, how, oh, that's what we're talking about. How did he bust him out of prison? Did they, they handed him a key card, right? Like that was the one thing that they provided provided in the uh in the book that they that uh they gave him the Machiavelli uh book that they gave to Zemo right like that that was the I, I don't know it did and among a num- number of things that that little bit didn't make a ton of sense to me I have to confess <laughs> he is Zemo you were like the buzzing of flies to him <laughs> <laughs> I I guess you know the the I I had to honestly rack my brain for uh, going back to who Zemo even was. Um, something. I also was certain he had died in the in the in the Civil War. I was positive that he had died in at the end of Civil War. I think the show is better if you don't remember who Zemo is huh. for the most part. I don't know well, because Zemo is such a different character. I mean, now we're we're going into it, but Zemo seems like a very different character in this movie than my memories of him from that other movie from 2014 or 2016, whenever. Oh, I thought you were about to say 20 years ago or (laughs) 20 movies ago, because that's, that's, that's uh, sort of what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, speaking of 20 years ago, the only Zemo I had was a, like a Smirnoff ice, right? Like that was a, uh, no, that that was a Zima. Um, Got it. The, uh, then that's the difference. One minuscule phoneme, uh, separates the kind of anti-hero villain character from from this film from the uh, uh, from the delicious light malt beverage of of yeah. our youths. I mean, no, um, no phonemes separate the main protagonist from a, a series of summer uh, seasonal craft beers, right? Like just uh, Sam. No, no. Oh, Sam. yeah, that's uh, <laughs> is there is there any booze named after Bucky Barnes? That we can think of, or the Winter Soldier. No, I don't. Think I'm sure so. there has to be a Winter Soldier beer. There has to be. Yeah. I mean, the I think the tie-ins are like buckwheat barns, which is like a buckwheat ale or something like that, and uh, the Winter Wheat Soldier, maybe. The the Winter Soldier is made by Northgate Brewing. It is a red, it is amber red ale made in Minnesota. 
that is no longer being brewed. It's a, apparently it was a limited vintage, I suppose, and it had ratings of of what, like three point three to four point two five on the beeradvocate.com. Out of out of one hundred, Hail Hydra. <laughs> hey, Hail Hydra. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's dive into this. We want to talk about uh, we want to talk about Falcon and the uh, the Winter Soldier. Um, it was a six episode uh, series on on Disney Plus. It takes it takes it just asks it answers the question: <laughs> What's up with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Uh, after you know, after they. Um, after they wrap up that last big movie that that they did, whichever one that actually happens to be, and so let's uh, let's go around the horn once, and uh, I, it should be kind of it should be kind of obvious because it's right there. The clue is in the name. It's called the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so it should be about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I'm not sure it's quite that straightforward. Ben, can you maybe enlighten us and then Pete, and then maybe I have some thoughts about what is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier actually about? I mean, I had two answers, but I'll leave at least some fruit on the tree. So I think at least part it's about, you know, it's definitely about race. And I think specifically about the kind of the role of race in public service in America. Like how is people who have been mistreated by the united states or by the the global system if you want to zoom out from the united states uh how are they supposed to interact with public service with with the public uh because that's you know that's what sam struggles with right that's why he refuses the shield at least at the beginning is he's not certain how to interact as a black man in america becoming Captain America. And of course this, the show has an answer for how he's supposed to do that. Uh, but it takes us kind of six episodes and some trips to you know, imaginary Southeast Asian countries to do it. Pete, you want to yeah. hop in? Uh, yeah, sure. It's like, yeah, that, that's a very simple and straightforward way of putting it. Uh, I think another way of looking at the show, you could have called the show the next Captain America. That, that I think is the, seems to be the work that is being attended to. And if the work that, Ben has described as the diegetic work, then the non-diegetic work is how do we plausibly put over Sam, the Falcon, as Captain America? And I use that in the pro wrestling sense, right? So this is a, it's a pro wrestling story in which you have one champion who retires, right? And he, and we all know the person that's supposed to be the next champion, but if they just give him the belt, he never wrestled the old champion, right? It's not like Sam, you know, superseded Steve Rogers, right? It's not like Anthony Mackie overcame uh, Chris Evans and and clearly became Captain America above him. It's not like how Robert Downey Jr. overcomes Jeff Bridges and, uh, and Sam Rockwell to maintain the uh, title of Iron Man, right, over his competitors. Uh, and I suppose Ultron, you could suggest, was another alternative Iron Man per se. But it's it's that okay. So Sam is is the person that we want to have be Captain America going forward. How do we imbue him with the audience's buy-in as Captain America? How do you get an audience to cheer for this guy? And a big part of the problem is how do you get the audience to cheer for this black guy, right? Because you're acknowledging that be you know the 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 upshot of systematic and systemic racism is that it is everywhere right and so you should expect that there's going to be some subconscious and conscious pushback to this sort of thing but also just in general how do you put anybody over right as as this big hero person that everybody's supposed to love and i think this is a task that's endeavored upon in a lot of these superhero movies to a greater or lesser degree and you go through a cycle right which is well how do you do it well you give the title to a huge heel right like the next person who gets the title is somebody who's just given it by the corporation, right? Vince McMahon comes out in his suit and is like, we've decided that the next heavyweight world champion of the World Wrestling Federation is, you know, my son Shane, right? Or like, or the big show, or, you know, I guess I'm dating myself here, right? Is that a real, yeah, I would like real examples from professional wrestling, if you can man, if they, you know, come to hand, if they're- uh, Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be the example from the era that I watched it, would be yeah. like- I'm giving it to, to Triple H, my my future son-in-law, right? Um, he's perfect. He's a great, he's a great guy, right? Or if they were to, who's another example of a great heel, right? Um, 
in wrestling if you were to give it to them. And, and everybody's like, instantly, boo, right? Because the person comes out on stage and they look wrong and maybe they insult the audience, right? Or like they very clearly didn't earn it. And what are the characteristics of a face versus a heel? The heel, right, has a, uh, a raw ability, usually by being large and powerful, that allows them to beat weaker people. They are a bully. Who you know, keep this in mind? You know, Captain America's big, you know, most simple and straightforward virtue is that he doesn't like bullies. And a bully, of course, is defined as somebody who only picks fights with people that are weaker than him. Uh, and you could describe Thanos potentially as a bully because, for the most part, he does not fight people as strong as he is, which is the whole point of him gathering all the Infinity Stones. Is he doesn't admit to the existence of people as strong as he is. He doesn't want that situation to even exist. Right. Um, and of course, Captain America's big fight against Thanos is kind of the apotheosis of his notion of hating bullies, because even though he's significantly weaker than Thanos, he still gets up when he gets knocked down. Right. And that's what the face does. Right. The heel is the big, powerful person who doesn't obey the rules, who, you know, injures the refs. Right. Who who gets by just on raw power, who insults the crowd and, and sort of goes somewhere and does something in front of everybody like, oh, I'm back in Cincinnati. I hate this place. It smells terrible, right? Or, for example, goes to a European city and beats somebody to death on a fountain in front of a large crowd of people. So everybody goes, boo, boo. So you have your heel, and then you build up who your face is going to be. And you have that person kind of like, you know, you kind of like like build up and have another fight and have another fight and have them show the virtues of they work hard. They got what they got from skill and training and determination. Sometimes there's a sort of clean living angle versus the heel being somebody who maybe does drugs or drinks too much. Right. Of course, you have antiheroes and stuff like that. Um, and then, and then eventually, you know, you have some sort of face off and then something happens and you put over the new champion. Maybe the new champion beats the old heel, but maybe they don't in this situation. They, they do. Um, but the real thing that puts him over is when the old champion, right. Uh, steps forward and sort of hands him the title by like deferring to his authority right in front of everybody. So I guess that's what the process is. The thing that needs to be accomplished from a business of storytelling perspective, in much the same way that we had to like build out the multiverse thing in WandaVision is here. We need to make Sam Captain America. We need to make the Black Falcon into Captain America. And Ben outlined the diegetic challenges of that as they regard to Captain America. You know, he's black. What does it mean for a black man, you know, the I, we, we built this country. His argument is we, we built the country, right? I'm going to defend the country that we built, right? And 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 there's a bunch. We can go into more about the, sem, the semiotics and the semantics of him as Captain America. Uh, but I just wanted to put that out there as the sort of task, right? And, and Captain America and the Winter Soldier are there together, partly because the Winter Soldier puts over, is part of what puts over Sam, right? The Winter Soldier is the other person who has a say and can kind of thumbs up or thumbs down what's going on. And the story comes down really strongly on him approving of Sam. And because uh, I think it's sort of put out there that either one of them might be Captain America's successor or they might be it together. Like they might be a team and do it together. But ultimately it's going to be Sam. Like that's who it's going to be. And that's this, the purpose of the story. So I know I, I went off on that a little while and we have a special guest, but... uh I mean, I don't know, Matt, what do you think the story that, is? Well, that's good. I mean, I, I think actually we're, we can come at it from three different angles because yeah. Ben talked about the kind of the, uh, the kind of the diegetic challenge, the, the sort of obstacle to, to the kind of like, or, or not, or obstacle, the kind of over, you know, uber obstacle to overcome. Um, and, uh, Pete talked about it in terms of franchise building. And then I guess I want to talk about it in terms of like world building and the story of like what the MCU is up to now. Right. Because the, the thing, um, you know, the, the, the thing that kept that, you know, was the, uh, all the conflict was over the, the particular issue that was in controversy the whole time is how do you deal with the kind of the world historical implications, you know, as regards like migration, as regards, um, you know, repatriation of people as regards property rights as, you know, uh, how, how do you deal with that of, of the, than the, um, results of the Thanos snap, uh, and then, you know, everyone kind of, kind of reappearing again. Right. And like, it's, uh, it is, you know, I hadn't, I, I guess not being a, a huge Marvel comics guy, like I hadn't, um, 
read this plot before if it had been written and I hadn't actually really thought through, but like, yes, absolutely. Like you're, you're not going to let all of those houses sit empty for years and years and years, right? Like there, there's going to be a massive global migration. There's going to be, you know, massive redistribution of, of property. Uh, there's going to be like some sort of green new deal, right? And that like, uh, yeah, that, uh, all of that is, is put into that, peril. Is that, is that what you call the time stone, Matt? Yeah, exactly. The green, the green the, the, it's the green, it's the green new deal. Oh, geez. Meet the new deal to meet the green new deal. Same as the green old deal. The, um, you know, that, the that like, there are implications to this, to the kind of the larger global or actually beyond that cosmic continuity of, um, of what the, the Marvel cinematic universe is doing. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the whole, um, you know, the whole thing. And, and so in that, like the, it is a bizarre thing, uh, for a Marvel story because it is, that is not a story. Like that's a story of, of like trade-offs and no good answers. There's no punchable face, right. For, you know, a uh, a question like ultimately like a, a thorny question of like political will and, you know, people's values. Um, right. That, so I, I suppose it is uh, appropriate that it's addressed in a miniseries uh, rather than in a, um, in a single film. Uh, and I suppose it's, it's, you know, it's appropriate that the, the miniseries has the, the particular tone uh it does where everyone seems to be in a bad mood all the time um that like uh you know because they're they're facing ultimately a uh a challenge that that there is not really a good answer for and that there isn't a um there really isn't a a uh, punchable face for you know like in when the pew 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 starts and when the when the cgi punching begins um no portals either <laughs> totally unprecedented in marvel in the marvel cinematic universe not a single portal to be found <laughs> that's a that's a good that's a good point i i don't know ben were you do, do you have a, a perspective on professional wrestling or or falcon and winter soldier <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say that i i totally agree with what pete was saying about you know the the task that it needed to do for the franchise here. Cause one of the, th- one of the things they had to do was that the face doesn't want, doesn't want to be the face, right? That's yeah. one of the aspects of being the face is that you don't, you don't want to be the hero, right? Like that's what captain America was so great was that he wanted to fight bullies. He didn't want to be famous, right? And he didn't want to beat He didn't want to be a super soldier to beat people up. He wanted to be a super, super soldier to protect people. So you have to give Sam that ability to, say, no, 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 I don't want it, and then want it, right? Because that makes him more likable. The problem was they they kind of wrote themselves into a corner at the end of Endgame when he takes the shield from Captain America, because that was how to end that movie, was the the passing of the torch. And then, of course, this miniseries immediately says, ah, never mind, the torch didn't pass completely. We're going we're gonna to spend six episodes completing the passing of the torch, because they... They they need they needed Sam to to work up to that point where he was like the reluctant hero. Yeah. I I suspect it's also doing some table clearing of they they wanted Anthony Mackie because he's a great he's going to be a good Captain America he's a he's a movie star they wanted a black Captain America but they probably don't want Captain America four to be about that right they probably want one of the big three right like there's the joke in this show about the big three villains uh you know what is it androids wizards and aliens like captain america 4 is a good chance one of those three threats will appear that's who they want you know captain america 4 to be fighting is you know one of the big three like a a bad guy you can punch uh they don't want to be doing you know fishing boats and race relations so this mini series is a way to kind of clear the table to to talk about the issue but then get it off the table so they can have him punch the appropriate person and close the appropriate portal right i'm sorry i'm sorry ben i forgot what it really was about was it's about the problems of financing a small business of securing financing for a small business yes uh <laughs> You know. so that it's, <laughs> it's, it, they, it's a wonderful life solution to to the marvel problem of they just have the the community turn out to to fix the boat yeah a barn raising essentially yeah so so two things one this is the story that doesn't happen at the end of game of thrones 
that should happen at the end of Game of Thrones, right? This is the argument. The argument that Ben just made for Sam as Captain America is the argument that Tyrion Lannister makes for Bran Stark at the end of Game of Thrones. Sorry if you haven't watched Game of Thrones at this point. You weren't going to get around to it. Uh, um, and, and and they just they don't go to any sort of trouble to show or demonstrate that this is something that's actually happening, right? They needed him to try to buy a boat and get rejected. And and second of all, these are kind of mid. I, I saw this, and I don't want to get into this too much, but this is overthinking it. I did see the whole boat subplot as very much a kind of mid twentieth century framing of the problem of small business finance, <laughs> wherein in the more modern era, I think the problem might be overly extended predatory credit at high interest rates rather than the refusal to give credit, right? Like they probably could have gone somewhere to borrow the money, but the interest rate would have been ruinous and the terms would have come with a lot of fees or it would have been like adjustable and they wouldn't have known and they would have been defrauded, right? Or it would be like, it would be like tech and they would, they would get it at, you know, uh, they would get an insane amount of money at a huge valuation for like the shrimping company, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and then they would they would be you know they would go into just an acquisitions binge, like trying to put every other trying to trying to capture mouth share, you know, shrimp <laughs> shrimp mouth share, uh, and hoping that volume somehow something 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 volume uh, after you've captured all of the eyeballs. Um, you know, or not not eyeball shrimp eyeballs, but uh, but you know, human mouth juice, whatever. I, I, if, <laughs> if nothing else, they they would have had the scene in the small bank where they're trying to get the loan, and the loan officer said would have said, "I think we can work something out," and then it would just cut to the Falcon flying through the air with like first national bank of Charleston <laughs> on like the back of the wings, like a sponsorship deal. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't, that was the point is that he wouldn't do that. Right. He was too proud to go to USAA and say like, Hey, can I be on the website? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll pay for the loan. Uh, But yeah, so uh, it's, um, it's uh, yeah. And I I guess what it's um, the the end of it, instead of, instead of it being, it's a wonderful life. It's more, maybe he gets his sister on good morning America to talk about her shrimp oil or like she goes online and like, or like Guy Fieri discovers the restaurant or something. And like they, they become a popular destination restaurant for people who want that authentic Delta experience. Right. Um, although I guess they do need to fix the boat. I'm not sure. But it is, Peter, I mean, I think, I think what you're saying is, is really interesting because I, I do think there is a kind of recommitting to outmoded ideals, right. That like, and you know, the kind of like enlightenment liberal democracy may be foremost among them in that, like, uh, you know, in that, uh, the it, thr- throughout it at every level, um, throughout the whole thing. And I, I actually really had the, the feeling watching the final, um, scene where they're watching the, the ship sail in, in, the, uh, or I, it's not a, a sailboat. It said they're watching the ship, what, underway, um, in the golden light of, of sunset and like, you know, all is, all is well. And like, uh, Bucky is in such a good mood that he's letting kids hang off of his bionic arm. And like, that's, you know, that, uh, and uh, God's in his heaven and, and all's right with the world. I, I thought of th- that the ship was sort of the ship of state. Right. And that this was like the sort of the American project, right? Even after these incredibly, you know, cosmically disjointed times, um, the American project is still sort of successful. Like she's still, you know, oh, 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 say does that, that star spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the, the home of the brave. And the answer is, you know, of course, a resounding yes, except it, it like zooms through the air within, in like a wingsuit and, and, uh, you know, where's like goggles? Where's where's like a, a lower guy? I don't I don't. The final costume didn't make a ton of sense to me. It looked cool. But, didn't make so, a ton yeah. of sense to me. So but that it, this was yeah. that this was the ship of state, right? That and like in to to the same in in the same way that like um, you know, whereas Sam, uh, Sam's speech at the end sort of boils down to boils down to the the old the kind of one of the old saws of like, well, nothing's wrong with America that can't be fixed with what's what's right with America, and and to a certain extent, like a doubling down on the the you know the the ideals of of um, a sort of 
re uh you know kind of recontextualized more inclusive uh, enlightenment style liberal democracy right like that that there there is not really a reckoning with the idea that oh no actually actually things are things are like different now uh, in more than superficial ways and that that like um you know maybe maybe the old tools are not the appropriate tools to to fixing these problems Right. I think that the, um, uh, I get, what was I going to say? The, um, well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So, so the, the Downton Abbey ish moment for this, cause it's a little bit more about the plot than, uh, it might otherwise be, but I felt like the most important line in the, in the whole story about this theme that we're discussing comes from shocker of shockers, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, right. Who shows up in this show as, uh, as the countess, as it were, um, as, as also known as Lady Hydra, popularly known as Lady Hydra, but she's not Lady Hydra in the show. She might be something else. Uh, she's Nick Fury's associate at one point in shield in the comics. And we don't really know what role she's playing here, but she says that, you know, you don't, when John Walker's talking about giving back the shield, right. And she's like, well, it doesn't really necessarily belong to the government. That's a gray area. And, and what I saw that as is the notion that, okay, Sam, it's going to be like the July monarchy and Louis Philippe, you know, of the house of Orleans, right. Replacing Charles the 10th of house bourbon in France, which is like, you go from the situation where the ancient regime in France is, it's the king of France and he owns France, right? And, and, and everything, all the land is under his authority through the series of vassals and, and oaths and legal structures and stuff. And everybody who lives there is responsible to his law because he sets the law for France. And then at a certain point, there's the big revolution and he gets his head chopped off, right? Uh, the, the king of France. And of course, then you have the emperor of France who comes in and then it, and then this kind of goes, gets turned over and you eventually get to this point where they put in a constitutional monarchy and they're like, okay, okay, okay. We have a king again, but he's not the king of France. He's the king of the French, right? To say like his authority isn't over the land. It derives from the people, right? And so I was thinking about it this way that, that Sam isn't Captain America, he's Captain of the Americans, right? And that, like, we're seeing that America isn't just the structure of the government that overlays the federal authority and state authorities of the places on the map, but it's also the people who live there and the people who live there uh, and their spirit of, you know, kindness and welcoming to each other, which is not entirely all bad, right? Even for everything that's gone wrong, you know, there's, there's still, I said, I thought it was less about, it was less about like voting and democracy and more about kind of Volk, right? And kind of the spirit of, you know, which is a, which is a rough thing to say that has all sorts of rough connotations sometimes, right? But in this case, they really lean into it. The salt of the earth, right? That these well, that people who in these communities are nice to each other and care about each other have a spirit, right? That is distinct in their own. Right, that is recognized. Sorry, go ahead. And they they have a car. It's a it's kind of a folks wagon. <laughs> I don't know, but this is like this land is my land. This land is your land, right? Sorry, sorry, Ben. We we both bogarted. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> no, it's but I mean it's it's funny because that I mean that transitions to, to one of these we want to talk about, which was John Walker. Yes, because he's the Texas Ranger. He, he is. I mean. <laughs> He is the democratically appointed Captain America, right? Like, we don't know exactly how he got picked, but presumably it was by, like, the democratically elected government of the United States picked him as Captain America, um, which has more legitimacy under kind of traditional liberal thought than just Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers just handing it down to the next guy, Um or even the next guy just kind of declaring, well, I have the shield now, so I, I am now Captain America. Um, but of course, like the, the show does the work to make that seem right. Uh, but it, it's funny because it, the show also has the counterexample to that, which is the bad guys, the flag smashers, they drive their authority from popular sovereignty, right? Like that's mm -hmm. where they get their power. I mean, they're super soldiers, but we're, we're told over and over again that the reason they are such a threat isn't because they can run fast and punch hard. Uh, it's because they, they're, they're of the people. They, they have, you know, holes everywhere. They have these refugee camps everywhere that, that will take them in, no questions asked, and, and do all these favors for them. Um, you know, that's the bad type of popular sovereignty. And it's not quite clear why the, the uh, Captain America version is better. It just, it just is. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the joke I saw online, which is very kind of legal nerdy, is that 
you know, there, there was Captain America and then John Walker is not even the acting Captain America, but is the official performing the duties of Captain America, which I think is, <laughs> I think is about right. Um, like it's an office. It's like, right. Yeah, exactly. Yet. Like he, he wasn't, he was formally appointed, but he never really becomes Captain America until, uh, you know, that he, he takes it appropriately, I suppose, which is how, uh, you know, Sam takes, takes the role. Right. Because I don't think we're supposed... Because Sam gets along with the head of the Flag Smashers, right? And they he sympathizes with her. He talks with her about her situation. He gets it, right? And I guess, is this the time where we have to start talking about the Flag Smashers? Is yeah. That, is um, that what we well, need to let's- do? Let's begin with, okay. you know, how do you smash a flag? It like it's a <laughs> it's a piece of cl- it waves. It like I I feel like just brand they could have brought some like branding experts to bear on this this whole question, you know, the flag. I mean, and the the logo was a hand. So why not the flag smackers or the, you know, the, <laughs> the, flag, the flag sorry, edit that out. The flag slappers. <laughs> the flag slappers. Yes. The flag smackers. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right? That like, uh, you know, anyway, sorry. Flag smashers. Yes, you're absolutely right, Pete. Let's do it. Okay, okay, okay. So, all right. So, okay. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is, so imagine an episode of Deep Space Nine, right? Where there's this really great Bashir and O'Brien plot <laughs> where, where like the doctor and the chief technician are good friends and they have to, you know, they get embroiled into sort of a murder mystery that's happening on this space station and at the same time, there's supposed to be like an attack on the station and the captain is supposed to be fighting off the, the commander. Cisco is supposed to be fighting off the attack. But and then the two stories are supposed to dovetail at the end. Now, imagine that you shot the whole story, right? And then you just eliminated the attack on the station and replaced it with like a like a, a like static warp bubble, right? Or like or like some other sort of unrelated problem. Because I, I'm pretty sure, like, if, if when we used to talk about stuff like the movie Spider-Man, right, as examples where a movie or a TV show was changed in post-production because of a public event that happened, right, mm. that, that made it unacceptable to put the story out the way that it was supposed to be. So in the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, there's a shot in one of the early trailers where Spider-Man weaves a web between the two towers of the World Trade Center that he uses, I think, to encapture the Green Goblin. And this had to be taken out of the movie because, of course, those two buildings were removed um, from the skyline by a couple of Flag Smashers. Uh, as it were, and uh, as it were, in, in rather grand and tragic style. And so after the tr- World Trade Center was destroyed by international terrorists, right, they're like, well, we're not going to put it in the movie. <laughs> right? And so instead, Spider-Man goes to the Queensboro Bridge and a bunch of people throw bricks at the Green Goblin, <laughs> right? And it's like, it works, right? It's, it's, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, right? It's all right. It's not bad, right? It's uh, the climactic scene in the Spider-Man with Sam Raimi isn't terrible, but it's not catching him in a web in the world trade center. Like there's, there's clearly something has happened. Once you know, once you know that something has happened, you can't unsee it. And I'm pretty sure this show was kind of about COVID, right? Like totally by accident. And they gutted it. They gutted the plot of the, of the Falcon and the winter soldier. And they replaced it with the flag smashers as, and maybe the flag smashers were in it before, but it was, it wasn't about COVID specifically, but it was about a global pandemic, probably one that originated from like a chemical weapons lab or something. One of the, and and people like, Oh no, this is just like the conspiracy theories, Right. Uh, and, and we can't do this because it's too close to what people are talking about. And we, we don't want to get so real in this situation where hundreds of thousands of and millions of people are dying from this disease in real life. Right. So we're going to make it no longer about a plague and we're going to make it about a, a subject that we can all get behind, which is like immigration and refugee mistreatment. Right. And, uh, maybe we can't all get behind that. Maybe we can, who knows? But the idea being that like, you know, it, it, just in case you haven't heard this this idea, right? At the beginning of the movie, flag smashers are stealing a, bu- a truckload of vaccines that are going somewhere. Why is there a big truckload of vaccines going somewhere in an armed convoy, right? Like, why is that happening, right? Head of the flag smashers. Actress is a pretty famous actress, right? She dies of a mysterious illness. We are told in a dubbed over voiceover that isn't put on camera that, that it's tuberculosis, right? 
Um, and, and, and it's like, okay, why is this character like mysteriously dying of this disease? That's, you know, terrible and awful and kills a lot of people, but it's treatable. Right. Um, and this is a point that's been made elsewhere on the web. You know, there's a point where, you know, they go into the safe house and the person in the safe house is like, this room is clean, right? I've cleaned it all out. Why would that matter? Right. Why, why does it matter that the room is clean? Why is that? Why are they in a sort of old fashioned hospital with tons of hospital beds? Right. And the idea is that, like, throughout, there was originally some sort of plot involving a virus, right? And uh, and maybe somebody released a virus because they wanted the population to go back to the way it was with Thanos. Maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe the virus started before the people came back, right? And now all of a sudden, all the people, and there were enough vaccines for everybody, but now everybody's come back and there aren't enough vaccines for everybody. And the refugees are SOL. And these, this, that's who's the fight. We don't know, right? We don't really know. We'll probably find it at some point. That all aside, and I don't want to monopolize because we have been on here and we didn't break him out of prison for nothing. Do you want to discuss what remains? Like what's left over in the show and what did they manage to accomplish or not accomplish in the way that they reworked this show during COVID to change its plot. It's a plot, right? Yeah. Um, what we're, what we're assuming is it... we're assuming we're making a bunch of assumptions, but they seem pretty firm to me. I don't know. I'm also very wrong. I have a bad history, not a bad history, but a fun history of coming up with theories for things that just aren't right, but which I enjoy the heck out of. And I, like, you know, maybe may, like, you're, yeah. I suspect you're on very solid ground that something changed in the. I mean, I think we know for a fact that they had to they had to film some stuff post COVID under social distancing conditions. But I think it's also pretty obvious that large chunks of the plot ha- were cobbled on later because there are yeah. parts that just don't fit. There's also and what you pointed this out when I, I and I think I was through like episode three and then I couldn't not notice it that huge chunks of the key exposition is all done very obviously after the fact it's all done either on like a voiceover or it's on like a video call between key characters or a cell phone call. Like all of that stuff happens and stuff that is pretty obviously was not done in the room. Uh, So I think whether it was a pandemic or something else, it seems pretty clear to me that they had to rework as well as just the, the general incoherence I would say, or, or decoherence of the, of the flag smasher idea there's just something there's a there's a missing puzzle piece there because you have this weird it's trying to be in dialogue with like the refugee crisis so the there's a strange part where one of the the uh displaced person says i'm not a refugee we're not we don't need to be protected from anything we are just displaced we're just in the wrong place um but the whole thing is kind of weird because it's pitched as the flag smashers are the people who were who weren't snapped, but were left behind and had to like rebuild society during this, during the, the blip. And yet, so you would think that they would be the five years later, you think they would be the ones in control of all the power. And the people who are come back during the blip are the ones who are in refugee camps and stuff. Cause they don't have homes. Um, and yet this show just kind of assumes that it's the other way around that the, the GRC, the power is all being exercised on behalf of the returnees and the people who consolidated power over five years are the ones on the outs, which doesn't really hang together. And, and to me strikes as, as some sort of weird post hoc uh, explanation where I think a plot line, like what you said makes a lot more sense is that this is people who were there during the blip. Don't like the fact that now they have to care for all these people who came back and want to go back the way things were where, you know, the population was half as much as it was like that that tracks to me a lot of what we see in, in the show. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, just the idea that the, the person running the flag smashers is really young, right? Yes. So like, yeah, and probably got used to the world without, without all the other people around. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so, but it's just the idea that the flag smashers had this person running them who we never see in like a, they have no lines in the whole thing. Right. And they're just dead. And and we only see the protege who is leading this, this resistance. But like to take it, to take it at its own face value, the idea, right, is that, okay, you, you live in like, let's say you live in Central America and half the people vanish and you decide to migrate into the United States, right? Because we want to assume this is like ripped from the headlines and you get there and they're so happy to have you there because it's like the Black Plague. Right. And that like labor is really scarce. They don't have a lot of people. 
And so, and they have a lot of, they have relatively a lot of room, wages are high, right? And so you are able to settle in and have a job. And, uh, and then the other people come back. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, was there an election? <laughs> we're, we're like, we're like those people who came back got to vote, right? And like, and they, it's, 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 I want, I want to not just bash it. But I mean, some of the consequences of this, right? What are some of the consequences of this particular story? Well, I mean, yeah, well, it's, Matt, it's, Matt, Matt, you said something earlier that I, I think is is key, which is that this is a problem that doesn't have clear answers. Like if if you get blipped out of existence and somebody else, like it's totally reasonable that somebody moves into your house, right? You're gone. You're not going. Your house is not going to go to waste. So somebody else moves into your house for five years, and you come back. There's no good answer about who should get to live in that house, right? Like. So somebody's going to have to move out or move in right, and move in. And both of you have a fair claim to it. There's just no good answer. And if you multiply that across 3 billion people, it's a super hard problem. This show makes zero attempt to grapple with what the right answer is. And just basically and it, asserts that there is a solution that nobody wants to do. Yeah, I think, well, no, I mean, I think that that like, um, the, the incoherence of that and the, the kind of like the difficulty I have kind of wrapping my head really about what it's, what it's saying uh, about that i mean i guess saying it's a problem <laughs> big big old problem right um you know the the kind of the subjective experience of like confusion and, and that i had watching this is sort of accounted for by the 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 theory that this was all kind of retcon was all kind of cobbled together ex post facto and then these elements you know like uh Video video conferences and voiceovers were were put in. I'm sorry, who who just joined? Wait, now I thought we were dealing with the, the, who? No, you're on mute. But you said the flag smashers is dead. But now it's this Morgenthau girl. What the? Wait, who just joined? And that like that uh that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I will say that it is like of a piece with you know one of the story challenges that I've identified before in the the like the post end game MCU um mcu stuff like we we have a joke you know here in our apartment where my girlfriend and i call this this genre of music of movie the pew 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 movies um because like no matter what else happens at a certain point you know the pew 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 starts and that uh that like at, at a certain point in your pew 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 franchise there's nothing left to pew 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 like there's nothing left to blow up um anymore and you have to like deal with especially if you want it to have some kind of continuity if you want it to be like a world building exercise right you have to deal with the traumatic fallout of you know all the stuff that's not there anymore the institutions that aren't there anymore the people who aren't there anymore the grief that other people feel about that the the you know kind of whatever the knock-on effects, you know, imaginatively, speculatively are in this, um, in this situation that you've, uh, that you've sort of engineered for yourself with, with all of the pew, pew, pew. And like, this is a problem with the sort of stakes raising, uh, aspects of, of some of these, you know, some of these franchise films where it's like, well, the, you know, the world is always threatened with getting destroyed, but it's, you know, bigger this time. Like it's a, it's a bigger wizard. It's a, oh, we had, we had robots already, but now we have Ultron. He's a bigger robot. You know, we have, we have, yeah, we had aliens before with the Chitauri, but now we have have Thanos. He's, he's a bigger alien, you know, and that like, um, uh, that this is the, uh, this is like, it's a problem with it, with how do you escalate? How do you escalate? How do you escalate? And then if you want continuity at a certain point, you have to you have to pick up the pieces well picking it not to not to uh you know just quote from pickle rick but like picking up the pieces is work <laughs> it's not yeah. fun <laughs> like it's not particularly you set up from this show he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good point like it's you know it's not and and uh what it's work or not i mean i i suppose there are g- great works of literature that are kind of about the great work of history i guess i guess uh angels in america like ends uh let the great work commence but like um it's not particularly cinematic right the good well, the, the great work the, is a training montage. It's not a. It's not a film plot. I'm sorry, Ben. I'll hand it over. No, that's good. The, 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 it could be cinematic, but it, it would be a very different kind of story because at the core, Marvel wants to keep the world looking more or less like our own. Like this mm. is not a science fiction franchise that is interested in imagining 
what would happen if half of the people snapped away? Like what sort of societal changes would it, would we undergo if we found out that there were living gods that could snap people away for five years and some of them were living among us? This is not a show that's interested in like restructuring society when we find out that Nazis have been infiltrating every level of our, you know, government and economy for 60 years and have built a floating super weapon that was seconds away from killing, you know, hundreds of thousands of Americans. Like the, the Marvel franchise is a whole is not that sort of science fiction it is not a what if science fiction it is a they want punching and portals and pew pew um and in each individual movie they want to raise the stakes but across the different movies they need to reset right they they the they they're serialized but they ultimately they really want to be the simpsons where they go back to kind of a status quo to to fight each one other than maybe the heroes change from story to story but they don't really want the world to change all that much and so there's a there's a tension there where they don't really want to think through i mean this stood out to me in spider-man um far from home where he's you know back in high school and everybody's like really cool about the fact that people have been gone for five years like it didn't really seem to have changed society at all um, yeah, because in New York, everybody gets forced out of their homes every year and a half anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, and, that, and that's fine. Like, that's not the project of the MCU. Um, but it, 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 it creates this tension of nobody's really talking about, like, the elephant in the room of, like, hey, is there still traditional religion? L- right? Like, how, how do people feel about that? Uh, nobody really addresses that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a couple of different angles, right? And it's it's just, it's such a shame that they didn't have the opportunity to film anything cinematic to, to plug the holes once they changed the story, because the new story isn't terrible. I mean, it's terrible. It's like the plot doesn't make sense, but like the actual ideas behind it aren't worthless. Right. Like, can I, I, can I give an example? So a really cool scene would have been a flashback explaining what happened to Kaylee Morgenthau during the blip. Right. Right. Like what was her life like over the five years where she was like, you know, that made her want to go back. Or or whatever or whatever the case is like Where that would is be she really from? Where is she yeah going? exactly like yeah. anything about her like that those would all be really interesting things and we of course get none of that not even in dialogue you know yeah. much less filming it cinematically we don't even get it in dialogue here's the crazy thing. it's also like so close here's the Zemo is a refugee from a a, a place that blipped out of existence right and it is never addressed that Zemo's background is the same as morgenthau's right like like and then when you think about that it's like yeah that's like very rough right you know like sam is in the same situation where he's blipped back in and he doesn't have his business and it's it's like if you just change it a little bit like instead of having to fix his boat imagine that it's like sam goes home and there's somebody else living in his house right and it's like, and it's in his family's house. Like his sister is supposed to be there. She's not there. It's some stranger that came there because the levees broke and New Orleans flooded and people had to go up to up country, right? And a bunch of people took their house, right? Or there's a hurricane or something. And he's like, my my father built this house, right? My grandfather built this house in the in this town. And we all, all the people who lived here built this town together. And like, how come, you know, and we're not supposed to be able to be the ones who can live up to it. Okay, now you have like a Habitat for Humanity montage, right? Where instead of fixing boats, you're like, my grandfather built the house, I can build the house, right? And like, let's raise more houses, right? There's a Captain America solution to a refugee problem, right? Raise a barn, right? You know, like that. And then you can get back to your old school stuff. You could have Jimmy Carter make a cameo, but you can't because of COVID, Right. Like you can't trot Jimmy Carter out because he's very immunocompromised at this point. Right. And you can't have a bunch of people putting a house up. You can have a bunch of people standing at six foot intervals in Bryant Park. You can have a bunch of people standing at six foot intervals behind a chain link fence. But yeah, Ben, that's totally right. Like what's Morgenthau's background? Like where does she come from? What is she doing? What was her life like that was so great? Was there other than this woman who died of tuberculosis? Was there somebody she cared about? Is there anybody who blipped that she got back? Is it really the case that she got back nobody who blipped? That's strange, right? Is it maybe that somebody, maybe seems, somebody that seems she loved, statistically unlikely at least. Like, yeah, maybe it's that maybe her mom disappeared, right, or her dad or brother or friend, and she thought they were blipped, and they never came back, right? 
and it turns out that they were murdered or something, right? Like by a by the government right? or something along those lines, right? <laughs> like they hunt for them and they find that they've been killed in a refugee camp, right? Like, like it just it's like if you were to sit down and write the story, there's all these cool little hooks you could find, and I'm sure that that this is like what we were talking about, Matt, in our last podcast about you know the creative process versus the process of viewing. Like I'm sure there are constraints on what the story could be. And and our ideas don't fit the constraints, but it it is so it is so close at times, right? It is so close. Like, what does Wakanda have? Wakanda, I mean, it just it like it like it like makes me so stressed because I so loved the the Sam and Bucky dynamic, and I really loved John Walker's role in this show, and and I thought Julia Reed Dreyfus was hilarious. But like at the end of Black Panther. Wakanda resolved that they were going to use their international network of like spies and operatives to to foster ec- organic economic growth and foreign direct investment into the inner cities of the African diaspora, right? Like that's what they were literally going to do, the thing that the Flag Smashers say that nobody is doing. And they're in this movie, right? And it's like and it's like it's so close, right? You know, to something where it's like, oh, we find out that, you know, that M'Baku is like in New Orleans, right? <laughs> and, and is and is like, you know, these people have nowhere to live and, you know, they're from, Af- they're from Africa and we have a responsibility for them, right? And it's like, but they live in America and I'm Captain America, right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, well, you're, you look like you're from Africa to me, right? And it's, it's there's a whole other story you could have done, right? You also, probably also- M'Baku for the show. Giant rhinoceros. <laughs> what I'm saying is that originally the plot was about a huge robot, <laughs> like so huge. <laughs> and the problem was that they just couldn't film such a big robot during COVID. It just wasn't going to work. They could only film it from a six foot distance. And they yeah, had to get, get you got to imagine, back. though, I've seen like actually like what one of the things I saw, I, if you watch a lot of like network television, one of the things that happened last year was that at the end, they just did like Zoom calls with the actors introducing the final episode. And it was like, yeah, this is hey, everyone, this is our last episode. We had to shut down production <laughs> and uh, it's a little weird. So, yeah, yeah. you know, and I'm like so glad in, they made it. <laughs> Yeah, in in one case it was a medical show, and they were going to do an episode about a, a potential pandemic in New York City, and that like they was like, nope, we're not gonna. So we've actually kind of cut together the plots of three different episodes. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's our season finale. Here it is, enjoy, right? And then uh, then another one did, uh, you know, um, I, the Blacklist with James Spader did a thing where it was like, um, you know, we didn't finish shooting this, so we're actually going to complete it with animation, and you're going to have this weird like you know half animation half um live action uh episode where like there is some rhyme and reason or reason like so, some of the stuff that happens in this location is all animated and this because of i guess where they were able to shoot before they were they were shut down my point is that there there are like even under these even under these conditions you know what I'm saying, uh, what I'm saying is that I, I thought the Marvel writers were known for making great decisions in the heat of battle. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, <laughs> that, you know, really what they did was sort of smash the face of the problem, <laughs> right? Rather than like, they, there were a lot of, there, it could have been, this could have been an excuse to do something kind of pathbreaking, pathbreaking and interesting. And I, I like, uh, it seems like a missed opportunity given that like one of the good things about the MCU is that the films feel different one from the next, you know, they, they have a good, um, kind of genre, uh, spread. They, you know, some of them are funnier than others. Some of them are, have more romance. Some of them have more action. They, you know, they all have, it's, it's all like third act, uh, stakes raising pew, 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 uh, fate of the universe. Um, even, even Black Panther, which is, Certainly in the, in the first rank and, and yet uh, still falls, falls victim to the same sort of, uh, to the same sort of weakness. But like the, um, you know, but the, this was an opportunity to really like, uh, I don't know, to really do something a little, a little interesting. And, and in the, in the wake of WandaVision, which like, though it kind of ended conventionally, like was really sort of interesting in terms of what it was doing, what it was trying to do, uh, 
in in the first in the the first half of it and maybe also maybe got more conventional because of uh, because of COVID and because they, you know, had had filmed those parts already. I don't know. Well, someday someone will write the the history of it. Someday, someday, some future Robert Caro, you know, will write like Kevin Feige, <laughs> you know, <laughs> master of the, the Marvel verse. <laughs> oh yeah, there, there you go. Anyway, we're we're sort of coming up, uh, coming up on on the end. So I guess like, oh, um, really? I wanted to hear Ben talk about Wandavision. Oh uh, well, uh, the, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about Wandavision. Uh, talk about I mean, Wand- the, uh, Wandavision, John Walker, and small business lending, and then we'll, uh, you know. I mean, I'm I'm just imagining that in the pitch vi- pitch meeting for you know these various shows. This was the like straight down the middle, like, hey, we're going to do this crazy thing with WandaVision, and and Loki looks like it's going to be kind of off the rails too. And there's like the one skeptical guy in the room is like, don't worry, we're going to have a straightforward guys punching things, you know, international intrigue show, and that's going to be <laughs> what's it called? Uh, well, let's see, it's going to instar Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, so we're going to call it Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> like, this was just in the room, they were like, "We don't have an idea." So here you go. Let's let's write a check that we know we can cash. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're going to make two promises about this show. One, Falcon. Um, yeah, and you know, I don't know. I'll, I'm sorry. Before we before we hit the 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 appendix and the miscellany and the the thing, I, I will say that like. I liked Anthony Mackie in the show. I don't know. I felt a little stirred in my in my soul when I saw the the final title with Captain America and and the Winter Soldier. I, I mean, I felt like something had happened that at least I connected with on on some level. It it accomplishes the goal of making him Captain America. I mean, the because the mm. the Sam and Bucky parts are great in this show. The the Zemo parts are great. Like that the, the constit. This is a. I think Marvel has this problem often of being almost less than the sum of its parts. Cause the parts tend to be very, very good. Like the, mm. the, the, the MCU and now the MTU, I don't know if, if C still applies, but either way, the, the, the TV show, the, the individual minutes tend to be very, very good. Even if they don't always amount to something, um, you know, the, the, the beats are good. The jokes are good. The, the personal relationships are good. Uh, and particularly here, are all the main characters that they, they really gel. It's just the, the overarching plot is kind of a, a miss but that there's a lot of i think there's a lot of marvel movies that fit into that category where you know the plot you can take or leave but the the fun is is almost always there um so uh but you know before we go let's uh let's let's finish up we we actually did not talk about the what the de jure captain america <laughs> at all in this is there or the the person acting in the role of captain uh, captain america does anyone want to act in the role of commentator on that particular question um just that like i think that the whole th- thing about him becoming us agent right and uh which looked like it was shot during covid because everyone was standing 6 feet apart from each other and it's an empty room right and uh although maybe it wasn't but maybe it was but he comes out and it's like haha you're a us agent now and it's like nobody knows what that means right no that's a terrible name <laughs> and and he goes yeah and it's just this feeling of like that feeling of getting a job when you're unemployed when you know that there's something really wrong with the job that you just got but you're just so happy to have a job like i felt that i feel seen by that moment where he's like i'm back at it baby and and it's like well who are you what are you doing what's happening (laughs) and it's like i don't care i'm back in it i need to pay my rent right like uh i need to i need to get off the get off the sidelines Right, um, and when Elaine when Elaine from Friends says, um, you know, we do, we won't need Elaine a Captain America. Friends, <laughs> yeah, exactly the the great the great nineteen seventies sitcom. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when Kramer comes in and starts talking about those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Well, no, the 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 one it takes place in a bar, right? Yes, 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 yes. And it's, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yep, right, exactly. One where when, jerks. Yeah. when uh when elaine from veep comes in and says yeah. um uh the uh you know we won't need a captain america but we will we will need a u.s agent i was a little bit like wait oh, okay thank you wait is that my name is that my job <laughs> is 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 that your like- head of imagination matt that's your title don't question it that's what it means <laughs> <laughs> 
I read at one point when the David Mamet uh, Delta Force show came out, um, I, I read some like autobiographies of people who had been involved in the founding of that organization. And uh, apparently there are like legal problems with calling someone an agent, which is why they didn't like uh, Delta operators got called operators, I think was the term that they used. And so like, I'm just like wondering if they've really looked into the legalities around calling, you know, calling John Walker U.S. agent, because that has certain like diplomatic ramifications. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert on international law I don't, or any kind of law, but maybe you could like uh, help us here. But <laughs> well, like, I, you know. I, I will note. So in the terminology of like espionage, so an agent is actually not a, like a James Bond, like James Bond would be referred to as an intelligence officer. In the huh. parlor, an agent is the spy is the guy you get to spy for you is like the you go to Russia, you recruit a Russian national to give you information. That person is your agent, which is kind of funny because one of the most famous U.S. agents is an actual guy named John Walker. He he was a the one of the most damaging spies of the Cold War was this guy who was a Navy sailor and then recruited a bunch of his family members to turn over a bunch of uh, basically codes to the Russians that the Russians then used to to spy on on America during the Cold War. Uh, his name was John Walker. So he was an agent of the Russian government working in the United States. Uh, I, I have no idea if the John Walker of the comic books was named after him. Uh, but so there is a U.S. agent named John Walker in in reality. Yeah, they're, they're roughly contemporaneous, right? They are, yeah. So it, it, it could have been. So, yeah. so the John Walker spy was caught in like 86 and Wikipedia tells me that the John Walker Marvel character was created in like 87. So it's entirely possible that the the author would have heard of him, but I, I haven't been able to to yeah. see if that's like a true thing that happened or not. But, I mean, I really and then of course, like, yeah. the other famous John Walker well after that was John Walker Lind, who who was another American trader who worked for the Taliban. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a name that's just covered in glory. And and the famous John Walker before that was John Walker, from, born uh, 25th of July, 1805, uh, after whom the Johnny Walker brand of Scotch whiskey, blended Scotch whiskey. Is <laughs> and that's the most why important. at the end he gets his black label. <laughs> he starts as blue label, but by the end he's black label. <laughs> blue label is, is more expensive than black label. Yeah, I Don't guess he's downgraded. Walker. Yeah, he gets downgraded. <laughs> he starts out as blue label, but then he becomes red label and he ends up as black label. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a it's a story, it's an origin story about whiskey. Got it. Mm-hmm. The, the, that would have been the capper was it just he just turns to the camera and like holds up a bottle of johnny walker black it's like and that's why i only drink this brand of whiskey <laughs> keep keep walking <laughs> um well th- i think maybe we should uh maybe we should leave it maybe we should leave it there um wait what pete what happened ben disappeared in through a hole in the, <laughs> he he pulled in el chapo which was they, a very <laughs> they were so close zemo drinks a tumbler of whiskey in that scene they just gave the whiskey to the wrong character they were so close to making it all make sense and tie together oh but yeah no he just vanished it's uh the dormelage we're looking for him but uh yeah, he's gone to the raft and maybe and, in the middle of the pool, like in the three foot section. That's about and by do. the way, the <laughs> that's, yeah, he's on the right, like at a, at a lot of tropical resorts, there'll be like some sort of like fake island in the middle of the pool that has a bar in it or something. Right, like right, that. Right. He's gone to the, you know, he's he's drinking Mai Tais in the uh, <laughs> where what ocean is the raft supposed to be in the middle of? got to be the atlantic right that's a it's you know it doesn't look uh it doesn't look tropical enough to be the pacific to be the south let's let's find out so the raft the raft going back to the marvel database uh is in the milky way galaxy Uh uh, in the soul star system you're like you're like a six you're like a six-year-old addressing an envelope you know (laughs) the The universe the milky way the the solar system earth that it's in the bronx (laughs) (laughs) like this literally says it's in the Bronx so maybe (laughs) yeah I don't know I don't know it's uh, there's alternate versions of it the cinematic universe the raft is in an undisclosed location oh there you uh, go that clears it up 
Yeah, it says it's an undisclosed location. That's unfortunate. That's really unfortunate. Actually, in the 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 David Mamet Delta Force show, there was a uh, there was a plotline about a floating prison ship in international waters. Uh, you know, out out in an undisclosed location. Oh, you the, know what? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. It was actually in in like the Bermuda Triangle. But but yes. I was just going to say, you know how you guys were talking about how Marvel is committed to a sci-fi version of our reality that stays recognizable to our reality, right? I remember uh, well, that we were talking about that. I, I, I actually found out that in that that's all bunk because in the universe where the Sony PlayStation Spider-Man games take place, there's no Roosevelt Island. It's the raft. Right. And like, I don't know about you guys, but if our world doesn't have Roosevelt Island in it, it just doesn't feel like our world. I mean, I just totally the immersion is just totally broken. Um, by the way, Roosevelt Island, the island that the trolley on the Queensboro Bridge goes by in the Spider-Man movie. So like maybe he would have seen the raft looking down, although he's not the PlayStation game. It would have been the movie, the video game based on the movie. I hope that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness spends a lot of time on this question. Of like, where's where's the raft? Here, mm. here, yeah, maybe I don't know. The multiverse, yeah, exactly. I hope it. I hope it's shot on on. I hope it's like a, you know, sixteen or or thirty two or sixty four films all playing at the same yes. time. It's like Zyrica, right? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go to a all parking right. garage and there's just DVDs and there's screens and projectors everywhere. Yeah, exactly. An art experience. And Tilda Swinton is in all of them. Oh, that's uh, if if only what a what a heaven that would what a cinematic heaven that that would be. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it for there. Uh, thanks, Ben, for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you. Glad we we could uh, talk about um, the the uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Woohoo! That's right. That's right. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you, Ben. Thanks very much. Thank you, Pete, as always, and thanks everyone for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the Oscars uh, that happened yesterday. And you know, uh, who who congratulations would... to Sonic the Hedgehog, the only movie that everybody saw in the theaters, right? <laughs> certainly, certainly made more money than all of the <laughs> other films put together that are uh, nominated for for Oscars this year. I I predict only that the show will be supremely awkward and that it will be. Uh, uh, that it will be the lowest viewed in even after a, a year, years of precipitous ratings declines. All right. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't deserve. So I have headcanon, guys. Big breaking headcanon right here. Here's my headcanon. The Loki show. Mm. None of the things that they wrote or shot actually appear in the show. They had to cancel it all because of COVID. And they had to film all of it in post-production and after shooting right after COVID. And the only thing that broke their way is that for some reason... uh, Luke Wilson was in the first group of experimental vaccine patients for like AstraZeneca. Right. Uh And so they got him like he's immune to COVID. All right. What can we do with Luke Wilson? And is it Owen Wilson or Luke Wilson? It's both of them. Let's just say it's both of them because I don't remember which it is. All we have is him and a blue screen and a hundred million (laughs) dollars. And we have to overdub everything. And like, that's how I'm going to watch the Loki TV show. Assuming, assuming that that is, uh, that that is what happens. You know, so. Pete, if if Loki's goat helmet like created an energy field and could shoot out little laser beams like pew pew pew, that helmet itself would be a head cannon. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, I I can you say all that again? I missed it. I was uh, calling so my I, I was calling my contacts to tell them that I have all the secrets of overthinking it now, and I'm prepared to sell them to the highest bidder. Oh, that was great for you to make that phone call just in front of everybody, just in public. <laughs> <laughs> right out yeah exactly right out on the steps of the capitol building <laughs> wherever <laughs> it was that's it's wonderful i lo- i love it that uh i i love it that uh, the marvel universe is one in which surveillance doesn't exist <laughs> wow